welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. All right, my friends. Welcome, welcome, welcome to you. Um, I'm Micah, by the way, if we haven't met. Nice to see you all. And thank you. Um, I'm always blown away by the generosity of this community, like from day one. Um, so Laura and I and the fam are really looking forward to next summer. As much as we love you, we are also looking forward to be, being away for a bit. Um, so um, appreciate your prayers and support in that. Thank you. Um, one thing I wanted to do before we, we jump in here is uh, maybe for some of you who have been thinking about the DR and thinking like, oh, maybe that might be fun, but haven't been able to kind of connect yourself or who you are to that trip or what they might be doing, um, we've thought about like, let's gather the people who are interested and then create a trip that really highlights their gifts. But for some of you who maybe need a little help imagining what that could look like, some of the things that we have done or that we did do um, are connected to kids. There's tons of kids in this, in this village. Uh, the church there is taking on a Compassion Project, so they're going to be participating with Compassion International and hosting like hundreds of kids in, in a program with school and um, education and healthcare and lunch and things like that. So that's going to be a part of their work. Uh, there's lots of physical activities to do there, lots of sports ministries and uh, building projects. Uh, that We've talked about some things with, with parents and helping to coach um, parents and in in, uh, being good parents for their kids and healthcare and things like that. So if you're interested in any of those kinds of things, um, come to the, the, the DR informational meeting and uh, maybe ask a, bit more, a few more questions about that. See if it isn't something that um, you might be headed to the DR for, which would be awesome. So um, we are in a series called Eat This Book. If you are just joining us, we started this uh, maybe six weeks ago. And the idea is we're following what's called the narrative lectionary, which is basically just a journey from the, from the beginning of the Bible to the end in a school year. Uh, with sort of select passages along the way to kind of give us a feel and flavor of the, the arc of the story of the scriptures. So we started in creation, we talked about that in week one, and then we moved to the end of Genesis with the story of Joseph. Joseph and his family makes his, their way down to Egypt, and they find themselves in Egypt at the beginning of the book of, the, of Exodus. Uh, we talked about Moses and the burning bush. Moses was, of course, invited by God to go get the Israelites out of Egypt. And then from there, made our way into the wilderness with the Israelites uh, in Exodus 16, where they're provided for with manna and quail. Last week, we made our way out of Torah, the first five books, and we're in the book of Samuel. So now we're kind of entering the, the part of the Bible where they're chronicling the life of the Israelites and the story of God's people out of the Exodus. So that's kind of where we are. Today, we're introduced to one of the most important, uh, maybe one of the most significant people in the scriptures, and that's King David. Uh, David, if you didn't know, was one of Israel's greatest warriors. Um, Goliath was certainly one of his fights, but he was a part of some of Israel's greatest battles. Uh, David was one of, arguably, one of Israel's greatest kings, uh, an, an incredible strategic uh, military strategist. He also penned, he was an artist. I mean, this guy was a savant. Um, he, he penned some of the most used and quoted literature in the human history, right? The Psalms, Psalm 23. Uh, that's the shepherd one. Um, <laughs> just there. Thank you. Uh, say it again. What a, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You make me lie down in green patch. You just need the first word. You know what I mean? So then you're just off and running. So, you know, he's, he's, he's responsible for some amazing literature that people still to this day quote and, and read about. Uh, he was the beginning of one of the most important lineages in scripture, which of course leads to Jesus, the Messiah. 
Uh, he is the only person in Scripture to be called a man after God's own heart. He also uh, slept with a woman that wasn't his wife, got her pregnant, and killed her husband, but we're not going to talk about that today. Uh, that's a bit of a downer. True story. So if any of you feel like you've made any mistakes and you don't have a chance, well, if David's got a chance, you've got a chance, okay? Because that's pretty bad. So um, that's who we're talking about. 1 Samuel chapter 16. I'll invite you to stand if you can as we read the scriptures. We'll start in verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem, for I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said, and when he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, Do you come in peace? Samuel replied, Yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. So consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by. But Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. And so he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him, and he brought him in. He was glowing with health, and he had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And Samuel then went to Ramah. Pray with me. God, this morning, we gather as your people in this place, uh, and it's not holy because it's a church, but it's holy because your people are gathered in your name. And so, Holy Spirit, we recognize that you're here with us, and we entrust ourselves to your care. We, to the degree that we can, with whatever faith we have, we, we ask that you would be near us, that you would speak to us, that these words might become three-dimensional, not two-dimensional, that they would rise up off the pages of these books and that they would be alive and active in our lives, that they might challenge us to become more like your son, Jesus. We pray in the strong name of Christ and all of God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So I grew up in the church uh, for most of my life. Uh, I spent Sunday mornings at churches. Woodbury Baptist was the first church I ever remember. We then made our way to Grace Church in Roseville. There was a little church on University Avenue that my grandparents went to. Um, my parents, I think, met there, if I'm not mistaken. So I grew up around the church, and I, I grew up around this story. And this one is a favorite of pastors and preachers like me, uh, of children's ministry pastors, and for good reason, right? I mean, it is a great story with a great message, uh, a great lesson, if you will. It's not easy, or it's not difficult to find this one. It's sort of right on the surface, right? 
Um, but I would say it's probably a little predictable, too. Like when somebody says, oh, I, my pastor preached from 1 Samuel 16, I could probably guess, like, okay, so it's about not judging people, not looking at the outward appearance, but looking at the heart. So, you know, that's the story, right? God looks at the heart, don't judge other people, be more like God, see you next week. But of course, there's always more going on. There's always more happening in the scriptures than meets the eye. There's always a subtext. There's always things that have happened before and that will happen later that a passage might speak to or be connected to. And no more so uh, than with this passage. Uh, This, I would argue, this story taps into a couple of themes that are really quite important in the story of the scriptures. So that's what I want to do this morning. We have a little bit less time um, as we're making our way to the Lord's table uh, for Eucharist, communion, the, the Lord's Supper. And so with the time that I have, I want to just pull out two ideas and see if they might offer something for us to consider this morning as it relates to this story. Um, and the first, I would say it this way, uh, the first theme or the first story that's being, sometimes there's a river in, this, in, the, in the text, in the Bible, and it comes up again, and then it you know, goes along, and then it comes up again, and a passage will sort of tap into the wisdom of that story or that river that's happening. The first river is brothers. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. <laughs> brothers in the Bible are all the way from the very beginning. The first two brothers, Cain and Abel, in Genesis chapter 3. Cain the older kills Abel the younger, or Cain the older kills Abel the younger, with jealousy in his heart, says that Abel's blood cries out from the ground. Like there's this echoing through the halls of Scripture throughout about Abel's injustice. And the question that God asks Cain is really the heart of the whole story from then on. Where is your brother? Where is your sister? Where is the other? Where is somebody other than yourself? Where is your brother, Cain? And Cain's response is the response that humanity has been wrestling with from the very beginning of history. Am I my brother's keeper? Am I to care for the people around me? Am I to care for my brother, literally? Am I to care for my neighbor? Am I to care for... My coworker, my care for the people around me other than myself, is their peace and their wholeness and their shalom, their flourishing, my responsibility? Is my peace and my flourishing and my wholeness connected to theirs? This is the question, this is the wrestling of Genesis chapter 3. Now, some would argue that the rest of the Bible from Genesis 3 is working out this story. Am I my brother's keeper? Is my brother's flourishing and wholeness my responsibility? What does it mean to see to the shalom, to the peace of, to the wholeness of my brother or my sister? And actually, as you follow brothers in the story of the Bible, you see this playing out again and again. Uh, Jacob, who becomes Israel, has the 12 sons. One of them is Joseph. Jacob the father sends Joseph the son to see to the shalom of his brothers early on in the book of Genesis. See to the shalom of your brothers and their flocks and bring me back word. So Jacob the father sends Joseph the son into harm's way to see to the shalom of his brothers. Jesse, in this passage, in the next chapter, is going to send David his anointed son. He's anointed to be the king of Israel, and the father is going to send his son to see to his brothers shalom. He's going to bring cheese and sustenance to his brothers who are out at war, and he's supposed to bring back word about their peace 
their shalom, their wholeness. So if you're not putting the pieces of the puzzle together, I'll just do a little bit of work with you and for you. Uh, realizing that Jesus is called our brother in Scripture, the second Adam, this brother of ours is sent by the Father to see to the shalom of his brothers and sisters, you and me. Jesus is the last person in the text to answer the question, am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is, resoundingly, wholeheartedly, even to the point of death, yes. I am my brother's keeper. I am responsible in some way for those around me. I am not only responsible for myself and my well-being and my wholeness and my flourishing, but as a human being living on this planet with all of you, in some way, shape, and form, I am to be, I am for you. I am responsible to you and for you, and you are responsible to and for me. We are a family of humans on the planet. So your brothers and sisters are everywhere. They're all over the world. And we belong to this long story of people, humans, who have been trying to figure out what does it mean to live in flourishing and wholeness in the world. The Bible has something to say about that. It's not just an old, outdated commentary or book written thousands of years ago. It actually has everything to do with you and me here today, our neighbors, who we're at war with, who we're not at war with, how we resolve conflict, how we enter into conflict. The Bible has all kinds of things to say about it. And this story of David is a part of a long story that's happening in the scriptures. It's a, it's a pivotal moment in the story about brothers. And a commentary, a further commentary, on the question, am I my brother's keeper? So yes, this is a story about how God sees. And God sees the inward appearance and not the outward appearance. Absolutely, it's about that. But it's also a crucial spot in the story that goes all the way back to the beginning. about brothers and about family, about who is my brother and what's my responsibility to them. So, is my neighbor my brother? Is my neighbor my sister? Is my coworker my neighbor or, or, or my brother or my sister? Maybe they're my neighbor, I don't know. Is my enemy my brother or my sister? Is the president my brother? Rut row. Is their shalom, is their peace, is their wholeness, is their flourishing connected to mine? And the answer, according to the scriptures, is yes. It is. Now, before you get very overwhelmed with all of the humans on the planet and you being responsible for them, of course, that's not what I'm saying. That's not what the text is saying. Like, you can be responsible for a certain number of people. Do you guys know Legos? You ever seen Legos? Like, there's only a num certain number of connections on each piece, and once they're full, they're full. Right? I think about humans and our connectedness to one another a bit like Legos. Some of us, we've only got a four square. It's only, we can only be responsible for four. Like just a couple of people, that's all we need, right? But for others, there's like one of those giant boards with like a hundred connectors on it. Introverts and extroverts, right? I have a bigger board than some others in the room. You're not responsible for everybody in the room. You're not responsible for everyone in the world. You're not responsible for everyone in your workplace. But the question, who are you responsible to and for, is one that we all should, and I don't say that often, I think are invited to ask. And so, is there anyone in your life whose wholeness and flourishing and well-being you have overlooked? 
Is there anyone in your life, a brother, a sister, a mother, a father, a coworker, a neighbor, maybe even an enemy at work, whose wholeness and flourishing and well-being you have overlooked? Explicitly, implicitly, on purpose, accidentally? This is a story that is a part of a long conversation in the Bible about who is my brother and who is my sister. And is their wholeness and their flourishing connected to mine? And over and over and over again, Jesus dying on the cross, hanging, saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, is a commentary and an answer to that question. And it's yes. Yes, we are. So what does it mean to be the people of God whose hearts are open to that? To you, all hearts are open. Did you, write, did you catch that little refrain? To you, God, whom unimaginable love exists. To you, all hearts are open. Because when your love enters the picture, hearts change. So is there anyone in your life whose wholeness you maybe have overlooked or are overlooking? And what does it mean to be the people of God in the midst of all of our situations, all of our families, all of our workplaces, working for wholeness and flourishing, not just our own? In fact, our own is often sacrificed for the other. That's the kingdom move. That's the cross. That's the upside-down nature of the gospel. So yes, see how God sees. Don't look at the outward appearance. Look at the heart. Absolutely. And who is your brother? Who is your sister? The other thread I want to pull on this morning before we make our way to the table is this idea or this phrase, the youngest, he's tending the sheep, right? So Jesse is asked in verse 11, are these all the sons that you have? Notice prior to that, all of the family of Jesse has been invited, consecrated to come to the sacrifice, and yet there's one who's not. That's David. Are these all your sons? Is this all, is this all of them? Jesse says, no, there's one more. He's the youngest, and he's tending the sheep. Two things about that. One, the youngest. It's the word hakatan. Such a great word to say. I mean, say it with me if you'd like. Hakatan. We'll put it up here. That comes from katan, and it literally means small insignificant, the younger, the lesser, diminutive, literally or figuratively. It's this idea of, you know, the katan. You know that kid, right? He's insignificant. He's small. He's puny. He's not worth inviting to the party. That's David. King David, one of the most pivotal characters in all of the scripture is the katan. If you've ever felt left out, if you've ever felt belittled, if you've ever felt on the margins, this is a story for you. This is Rudy. This is like the script of Rudy. You remember that one? And he's the Catan. The youngest, tending the sheep. If you have sheep, you have means. If you have means, you have servants. And servants tend sheep. Sons don't. In this time and in this era... Of, of human history, the ancient world, if you had sheep, you had means, and if you had means, you likely had servants, and the people who were not tending your sheep were your sons. They were your servants. So David, the katan, the little one, the insignificant one, is doing the job of a servant, not the job of a son. David is not the A-team. He's not the varsity football player. He's not the, the top, he's not the cream of the crop. He's like on the margins. He's on the edge. He's outside of in. And it's this one that God says, that's the one. Which is interesting because Jesus, when he goes to pick his disciples, you know, 
He doesn't pick the A-team. He doesn't pick the people on the varsity. He doesn't pick the smartest, the brightest, the best. He picks the ones who are tending the sheep. They're, they've left school. They've left what this religious education that they were in because they couldn't cut it. They didn't make it. And now they're doing their father's business, which is sort of the fallback when you didn't make it to do what you wanted to do. So all of the dropouts, the leftovers, the losers, are tending to their father's business. And Jesus walks along the shore and he says, you, Katan, you, Katan, you, Katan, I want you. You're my people. You're my disciples. So if you're here this morning and you didn't make the varsity team, you're in good company. Really good company. Twelve people who changed the entire face of the planet are in your company. They weren't the best. They weren't the brightest. They weren't at the beginning of the line. They weren't the prettiest. The work of a shepherd happens in the dark. It happens in secret. It happens in the wilderness. Literally, David's heart, the heart that is the one that's after God's heart, is shaped and formed on the backside of nowhere. Where no one is out there, no one is watching, decision after decision, moment after moment, David's character is being forged in the quiet. It's being forged under sunsets and sunrises where nobody else is. There's no Instagram, there's no Facebook, there's no newsletters, there's no internets, there's no TVs. There's nobody cataloging all these great moments of David's life and then putting them out there for all to see. It's happening in the dead quiet where everybody thinks nothing is happening. Is this not the kingdom Jesus speaks about? Is this not the kingdom that Jesus over and over and over and over again says, it's like this. You think it's like this, up and to the right always, but no, the kingdom move is actually down and to the left. It's sacrifice. It's love of other. It's divesting oneself of power and privilege for the sake of another. It's not up and to the right. It's this way. It happens in the quiet. It's like a mustard seed. It's the smallest of seeds, but then it grows into the largest of bushes. It gives home for many of the birds of the field. It's like yeast. You can't see it happening. You can't see it working, but you can see the effect of it working. It's like a pearl hidden in a field, a pearl of great price that you would sell everything to get that field that nobody can see. I love the fact that it's the shepherd in the field that nobody thought to call. I love the fact that it's the kid in the margins who's the one that's brought front and center and said, it's this character, it's this heart, this is what it looks like. I love the fact that it's the younger son I'm a secondborn. I'm not a firstborn. You know that in this, in this day and age, it's the firstborn that had all the power and all the privilege. They, they were afforded everything. Why? Because they were born first. That's just so lame. And again and again and again in scriptures, it's actually the younger sons who are making moves, who are moving the thing along, not the oldest sons. That's an interesting study for another day. But go look for younger sons in the Bible. What does this say about the heart of God? Is this consistent with the Jesus that we know and that we see in the Gospels? Jesus is almost always looking beyond the edges of culture and power and privilege and inviting people in. He's always out on the edges with all the people that you shouldn't hang out with, that shouldn't be invited to church, that shouldn't be offered the kingdom. Jesus is out there saying, hey, you guys, come on in. I'm throwing a party and you're invited. That's what he's doing his whole life. And we see it here with David. The younger son, the one who nobody thought to call, is the one that's paraded down in front to say, this is the character of the king. This is the one. 
So a few questions for us this morning as we move towards communion and the table of the Lord, which is all about renewal and all about repair and all about the shalom of our brothers and sisters in our world, that we come back to this table because we can only give so much before we need to be put back together. What does it mean for you to see to the shalom of your brother or your sister, your neighbor, your coworker, your boss, your family member, your parent, your sibling? Who or what has been overlooked and not invited? Who is in the field on the edges at the margins? And how do the people of God respond to them? And how do we as a people, how do we as the people of God develop the kind of character that's consistent with the kingdom of God that we see in Jesus and in the scriptures? One that is not about publishing every moment of beauty and wonder and greatness of my life for all the world to see. That's the opposite of the kingdom. How do we cultivate hearts that don't desire that, that don't long for that, that don't want that? What does it mean to cultivate character that does small, faithful things in quiet where nobody sees them? It's not sexy. It doesn't sell billboards. It doesn't sell movies. But it's the way of the kingdom. Over and over and over we see that. If that's not obvious, I'm an idiot because it is all over the text. And yet, the messages that we hear day in and day out, you first, gram that, post that, snap that, put it out there, look out for number one, do unto others quick before they do it to you, Friends, the way of the kingdom, the way of this table is the opposite of that. It's the one that drags the Catanian from the edges of the, in the margins, the unseen, the one that's not invited to the party and says, there is good here. And actually where it says that he's handsome in the text, it says that he has tov ra-roi. He has good eyes. Isn't that fascinating? David can see tov in the world. Tov is this word that goes all the way back to the beginning of the story where God says it is good. It's the things that generate life. It's the things that perpetuate life. It's the seeds that grow into things that give life. That's what God calls Tov. David, the Katan, in the margins, on the edges, B team, is invited to front and center. And what's said about him? He can see good. He can see the kingdom. He can see it. So, can you? Can we? And can we move towards it? With the gravitational pull going the other direction, the people of God, the prophets among us, know it's that way. That's all I have for you today. Pray with me. See if there isn't anything that the Spirit is inviting us to move towards as we come to the table. God, this morning, as we take a few moments to be quiet and we save a little bit of space for silence, I pray that you might invite us, maybe bring to mind or our hearts a brother or sister who's near us and a part of our life whose wholeness and flourishing we have not made a priority. Maybe in this next moment of silence, God, help us to see 
the tov, the good, in those who have been overlooked in the margins and on the edges, who nobody thought to invite to the party. And God, teach us what it means to be the sons and the daughters, the brothers and sisters of Jesus who went before us saying, it's this way. It's the way of sacrificial love. It's the way of forgiveness. It's the way of mercy. Follow me. This one will take you home. So speak to us, Holy Spirit. We're listening. As we make our way to the table together, I invite you to pray this prayer with me that Jesus invites us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Whenever you eat of this, remember me. Don't forget. In the same way, he took a cup. And he blessed it and he said, this is a cup, a new covenant, a new deal between God and humanity. And it's my blood shed for you. Whenever you drink of it, remember me. Don't forget that it's this way that I call you to. So in just a moment, we'll invite you to come. We'll invite you to come from the sides um, towards the center. There will be gluten-free, the furthest to, to your left, my right, and then another station, and then there'll be a station over here. There's red wine. There's white grape juice. I invite you to take a piece of the bread and dip it in the cup. Uh, receive the words of the servers. The body of Christ broken for you, the blood of shed, the blood of Christ shed for you. Um, in just a moment, the kids are going to come down and we'll give them a blessing. Uh, we invite them to take some honey and may the word of God be like honey on your lips. Through this whole time, we're going to be singing. Uh, we'll respond. The prayer team and space is available to you. But this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith, you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here for a long time or ever before, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. So come, not because the church invites you or because I invite you, but because the divine Christ invites you to come and be fed here at the table. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.